0: The MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast with your hosts Stan Braille and Nick Brachia.
1: Welcome to the MMA Geeks Sea Level Podcast. This is Stan Jarive, your host, my co-host, the Pokemon card to my Logan Paul, Nick Brachia. How are you, my friend?
0: Doing alright, Stanislav. Picked up a uh, half a point on you last week, so slowly but surely, On on average then, I will catch you in 12 weeks. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that sounds about right. I'm five and a half points ahead at this point. You're inching your way close. Every couple of events, you pick up like like a half a point on me. And uh, it was this it was this weird situation. I probably would have had it the half-point advantage had there not have been uh, an eye poke in the Mason Jones-Allen-Patrick matchup. Uh, it was unfortunate. We're seeing more and more of this weird thing where fighters are a lot more comfortable, and maybe rightfully so, but fighters are a lot more comfortable bowing out of a fight if there's a foul on them, if they've not been doing well leading up to that moment. It seems like Aljamain Sterling has started a trend by doing it for essentially the title. And again, I'm not yeah. not necessarily saying whether or not it, it you know whether or not he was really hurt. Not necessarily going there, but just the fact that fighters feel less pressured to go back in there if they're hurt.
0: Yeah, and you know you can say, oh, I would have gotten the point, I would have won. But MMA decisions, largely as I as I go in and check it, mm-hmm. everyone except for one judge scored that fight for our, uh, M1 Journal. Only one journalist scored that fight, 29-28 for Kirk and about 20 scored it for Armankani. So, you can talk about how you got jobbed, but I got jobbed out of a point also. So,
1: Well, Nick, I invite you to rewatch that fight with me and I would love for you to explain to me how Macwan Ambrkani, like being in top position, holding on to Kirk's legs while Kirk is actively punching and elbowing him in the head. I'd love for you to explain to me how that is a winning strategy.
0: Hey, the arguments the arguments not with me, it's with all the enti- it's with all MMA journalists. Only Jillian DeCourcy of Combat Press scored the fight for Kirk.
1: That's my girl. Jillian DeCourcy me, and me were on the same page. Like, here's, here's how I feel about this, right? We've talked, we've talked about this before, and I have been happy to, uh, to give credit, even when I was wrong on these picks, right, where a guy's just holding on for dear life, whether it be in the clinch or on the ground. The other guy's actually doing damage. And for some reason, the old way for MMA judges was to assume that the guy that is holding the position is in control, even if he's getting hit in the head constantly – and I think like judges are slowly moving away from that. And I love that. I think part of that MMA decisions thing is that a lot of these guys are looking at it like the old way that judges used to look at it. And they're prognosticating how a judge would see it is the only way I could explain that one because genuinely think Kamala Kirk, as far as the strikes landed, as far as, as uh, as far as, I mean, just about every aspect except for holding top position, he had the advantage in that one. So um, I, I, feel, I feel very good about that, uh, picking up that win, but talk to me.
0: In your favor, like listen, most of those journalists are, are like fat neckbeard dudes. Like Jillian's a four and two pro she's a four and two pro fighter at BJJ Brown Belt and has fought for Invicta and Cage Fury. Yeah. So like as far as, as far as credibility goes, she's probably got the most credibility of anybody on that list. Shoot. Um and certainly and certainly more than me um so you know maybe maybe she maybe she knows something yeah i'm, I'm, qu- um, I'm
1: quickly looking at the stats actually about that maquan americani Kamuela kirk matchup from last week right first round uh, americani landed six strikes kirk landed 19. Second round Amerkani landed eight strikes kirk landed 46 8 to 46 nick third round americani 11 strikes 35 for kirk I mean, I know that Armarconi had two or so minutes of control in each of those rounds, but as he was "quote unquote" controlling, he was getting battered. I, I like, I, I, don't, I don't really see like if damage is the first kind of barometer for who's winning a round, and and I believe it is the first in most athletic commissions. Like to me, it's kind of a no-brainer. I think it was judged exactly correctly.
0: Offense is, but but I mean, you know, 94 percent of journalists that scored the fight scored it for. Uh, usually, usually you give a, you know, you, you often look at MMA decisions to see.
1: That's true. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, you know,
0: so I, so I got to pull it out here as you're, if you're going to listen, I've had money riding on, although I didn't have the Mason Jones uh, pick um, with us, I had money riding on it with DraftKings And that, that decision certainly screwed me um, that no contest when I really thought that they could have called it a TKO in the first round.
1: Yeah, not only that, but it happened in the second round. They could have gone to the judge's That, score that happened card. in the
0: second round. I mean I mean no, they can't. It's only in the third round is the rule. Is that really? I okay. believe. Okay. But yes, but in the first but in the first round that's why they were able to in uh the subsequent fight that had the eye poke. Mm-hmm. But um I thought in the first fight he had Patrick in a world of trouble and I didn't okay. feel like he Patrick knew where he was, um, that he was defending himself at all. He I thought I really thought that it, the fight was going to be stopped and then it wasn't.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And Mason Jones, man, the guy is just relentless with his offense, with his pressure. He's got some dynamic hands. Um, mentally, seems to be pretty pretty strong based on you know the interviews that you've seen with him. It was interesting after the fight. This is a rare occasion where uh, Ellen Patrick tried to extend a hand to Mason Jones, and Mason was like, "No, I'm good, thank you." Like, like I, I don't think what you did was authentic. I think you quit the fight. And granted, he's allowed to have his opinion. And that's fine, especially if he's one of the combatants. But I thought that was interesting. You don't usually see the. The kind of guy that gets screwed in the dynamic just being like nope you you quit the fight and you you rob me of a win and i'm not shaking your hand um but let's talk about the main event quickly Jarzinho rosenstrike versus augusto sakai nikolai we buried the lead uh so rosenstrike basically like i talked last week about how he is faster he hits harder he is more technical except he chooses most of the time not to throw a goddamn thing he'll just stand there at the end of your kicks if you're willing to stay out of boxing range and he's not going to do shit and Sakai gave him opportunities to counter but more importantly at the end of that first round Jarzinho just went in for bombs looking to finish and he did it he's done it a couple times in his UFC fights where at some point he just goes you know what I'm just gonna throw a flurry and see if I can finish this right now more often than not, it kind of works out for him, especially against this level of opponent. I thought that Augusto Sakai's chin might be too strong, too solid, to get taken out so quickly like that. But man, that was enough. Rosenstrik is just a scary, scary hitter.
0: It went the way I thought it would. I mean, I thought that Rosenstrik would know after the the serial gun fight um, that he just he just needed to he couldn't just stand there. And he was a little and he was a little more offensive. He threw uh, he threw more leg kicks early. Uh, he was, you know, he was fainting. He had, he, I could, I felt like he was in Sakai's head from the beginning, and he just spent. It was mostly just like he spent four minutes and fifty nine seconds reeling him in, and then put him, and then put him out. I felt like he was in control of the fight from the bell.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, no disagreement there. Uh, it just seemed like Sakai was more careful than usual, by the way, and I think he realized that Rosenstrike has some serious power. You can't just weigh in on this guy with pure offensive pressure. So he was more careful. He used more lateral movement, um, and that was definitely the smart way to go. And Rose, Rosenstrike is just pretty consistent with his left inside leg kick, and at all times he's either looking to land that looping right hand, the straight right hand, or the left hook. Those are kind of his big power punches that tend to work. And he usually, like, he'll wait in with the first punch, and as you're on your back foot – whether you're against the cage or leading, you know, heading toward uh, backward toward the cage as you're off balance, he hits you with that looping shot, and that usually takes you out. I think, I think it was a similar dynamic with JDS, where I don't know where he just caught JDS on his heels, off balance, and boom, shut his lights off, and that was his last knockout win. Alistair um, Overeem was very similar too right he was he had his back against that cage and it was literally with a second a couple of seconds left in that fifth round and he was able to to club him against the head uh split his lip open knock him out Strike has some insane power and so far the only way that we can tell to beat him is to keep, keep him at kicking rage if you're extremely technical like Cyril Ghosn or to just go in on him and, and take the risk uh and Fran Sangano did that the thing is that for all we know, Rosenstrike may have landed a counter on Francis Ngannou that was just as hard and may have knocked him out. So that was kind of a weird fight where it's hard to tell which is the better fighter, especially with how sloppy Ngannou got that knockout. But Rosenstrike man, he's to put a couple wins together and then he can, uh, I think, pop challenge for the title in, in the next uh, in the next year, year and a half. Who would you have for him next, Nick?
0: Well, what's uh, what's the Black Beast's next fight? Because all roads, oh, so I guess the Black Beast is going to fight for the belt, right?
1: Yeah, unless you know the UFC can get
0: Jon Jones to uh, concede on on his asking price. Let's assume that's not happening. Um, you know, it's a tough. Um, it could it could be a good put up or shut up fight for Curtis Blades. Um, yes, I would be with be one where, where you know where one of those guys comes out of it. Um, he could take on. Uh, I mean, I guess if, Volk, if Volkov uh, beats Cyril Gan, uh, which I think I'm probably going to favor Volkov in that fight, um, but we'll see. But if, if Volkov if Volkov wins that fight, I put them together. I think that's a really interesting one. Volkov
1: specifically is um, he's on a, like a good streak, and Rosenstrike is just has the one win. So like Volkov with that win. I would say go for the title shot, especially if John Jones is not in the mix. He should be next. Like he's already earned it, in my opinion. Especially given the yeah. landscape of the. Division. Then I would
0: then then I would wait and see if if Derek Lewis if Derek Lewis gets beat by Ngannou. Yes. Uh, in the rematch, I would I would I would go Rosenstrike Rosen Derek Lewis. I think would be would be a lot of fun if Derek Lewis wants to fight again after that payday. Like Derek Lewis is in it for the money. When it's yeah. not, once you know once he once he gets the bucks, um, that'll be it. I don't see Steep a I don't see Stipe fight in any of these. I don't see Stipe fight in Rose, fighting Strike. I just think Stipe fights John Jones or Stipe fights in, fights Ngannou again, and and I think that's fair. I think he had to go back and, and do you know he did the Daniel Cormier thing uh, twice. He gave Ngannou the rematch. Like I don't I don't feel I don't see I don't think Stipe Miocic should be anybody's uh, gatekeeper to the title at this point. I think he's I think he's earned uh, he's earned the right.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I also think Stipe is angling to get the title shot, whether or not um, Ngannou defends it against Lewis or or Jones in the meantime. I think Stipe would like his next fight to be for that title, and I think there's a chance that he can get it. I mean, he's he's still a serious name. He's still arguably the greatest pound-for-pound heavyweight in history, arguably, right? So he's still up there. He's still a beloved guy, at least by the hardcore fans. So I I tend to agree with you. I do think there's one name we didn't mention for... um, Jarzinho Rosenstrike, and that's Martin Tabura. He's on a serious win streak, uh, and he's ranked number eight. Rosenstrike is number six. If Tabura can do to Rosenstrike what he's been doing to these other heavy hitters, then dude, like he's right there one win away from a title shot, in my opinion. But it would be an extremely risky matchup because Rosenstrike doesn't have some of those mental blocks that Tibura's last few opponents have had, that Tiburh was able to kind of take advantage to pick up those wins.
0: Yeah, that I think it's a different level. I don't I don't think um, I don't think that that fight ends well for Tibura. and I'm a Tibura fan. I just think that um, the there's a the guys he's been beating, you know, his last two wins are against Walt Harris and Greg Hardy. Those are you're talking about two guys who weren't like weren't training MMA, weren't training martial arts at all until other you know other think other athletic careers ended. You know, Walt Harris was a college basketball player, Greg Hardy was an NFL player, like. You're dealing with, you know, you're talking about Rosenstrike, who's a um, really accomplished kickboxer. And it's, yeah, Tabura, like, against an old Ben Rothwell, against an undersized Maxime uh, Grishin, against a, a neophyte Sergei Spivak. Like, these are not, like... Dr- Listen, heavyweight's lean. It's not as lean as it used to be, but heavyweight's lean. But there's a, there's, there's a big gap between the guys to has been winning against and, and Jorzenio Rosenstrike, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I definitely, I no doubt about it. I'm on the same page, but you know, does he deserve that step up? I think so. Like, I think at this point he's, he's been keeping the gate really well, five wins in a row. Um, heavyweight is heavier, right? You're going to have some guys in the top 10 with glaring holes and he's able to take advantage of those glaring holes. Rosenstrike has his holes too. The question is, can Marcin uh, exploit them? And, and I, I guess we can get a little bit more into that when we discuss that matchup. But yeah, I, I think I think we've got a pretty good lay of the land. And for Augusto Sakai, uh, I feel like his next matchup should be somebody like Oleinik, somebody who's like got a little bit of a name but is on a losing streak. Uh, maybe he could be a stepping stone for Tom Aspinall potentially. Blagoy Ivanov. I'd be comfortable with any of those bottom rung of the top 15 uh facing that guy uh and quite frankly if Harris loses his job you know it wouldn't be ununderstandable like i i sympathize with the guy and 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 the tough thing that he and his family went through um but so i think for that reason the ufc will keep him around but he's not a quality heavyweight he has no cardio he has no heart um if he doesn't finish you in that first round or if you really suck and you can survive the first round he can finish you in the second round i guess but i mean if that doesn't happen then then he's he's not going to do well i know he's got a four five fight win streak uh right before the three-fight losing streak. But I just feel like he's not a quality heavyweight. Like, he's mentally just not where he needs to be to take advantage of his physical attributes.
0: Yeah, it's just... It's patience. It's octagon IQ. He, um... It was... It was it's it was clear that he when he, he took his shot to finish the fight and he didn't get it and there was no plan B and I think he gassed hardcore.
1: Yeah. As 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 always, quite frankly, right? You're like he can't help just throwing a sixteen punch combo against his opponent, against the fence. And if he's finished and if he finishes him, he wins and he celebrates out of breath. And if he doesn't, then he's screwed and he has no heart to continue. So yeah, the, the, the book is essentially written on Walt Harris at this point. Then we had Roman Dolitz who picked up a, a solid decision over Loriano Staropoli. Here's what an not factor in next. Staropoli was coming up for 170, Roman Dolitz coming down from 205. There's a decent like strength and size difference here on top of the fact that Doliz is a pretty solid grappler. And Doliz just did what he had to do, kept it slow, wasn't particularly entertaining. He wasn't given an interview afterwards because it was not a fun fight to watch. Uh he got a workman like decision against Terrapoli, who uh, you know, he's gonna need to work on his strength and conditioning to compete in this division. Um and, you know, he's on a little bit of a losing streak himself, quite frankly.
0: Yeah, it's um like he like uh Deliz caught a lot uh, like he was Strapoli was pretty pissed at him after the fight for holding like i frankly based on his ability based on his other fights the uh based on his experience we should have seen he should have been able to do more Dolides, as far as advancing position doing damage it really this this was the rare main card hold the guy against the cage for three rounds yeah and uh you know, it, it wasn't a good look. Let's put it this way: his shit's going to be on the prelims, probably the early prelims. His next fight.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's likely. I mean, the guy's got a nine and one record. The one loss is uh, arguable, right? That was his last fight prior to this one, and it was Ar- to, very uh, arguable. Yeah, to to Trevin Giles who's a pretty good opponent, but Steropoli, like, yeah. Here's the thing with Steropoli: he's a really good get-up game. You can take him down. But he gets right back up to his feet. And he has been stuck in the clinch before, but he eventually works his way out, hits an elbow, and circles out. He wasn't able to do that against a much stronger opponent. And especially with Roman realizing how good he is to get out of those positions, I think his game plan was just to hold for that reason. Because Loriano Serapoli's output on the feet is just insane. He just keeps throwing nonstop combos. So I could see that uh, kind of pressuring and tiring out Roman Deletes if he took a different route. So I kind of understand why he was this risk-averse, but... Uh, Again, he's, you know, as far as we can tell, he's a good fighter. He's good enough to stick around in the UFC for a while, but um, comes off as kind of pompous. Makes him not as likable as he could be. And then we have Nick, I think the fight that deserves the most conversation. Phenomenal matchup, and we expected this to be a fight of the night. Santiago Panzanibio getting a solid, well-deserved decision over Miguel Baeza, who was seen as an incredibly serious prospect, who was seen as a future top fiver. 10-1 and 1 is the record that he fell to now. Ponzinibbio, man, like I talked last week about how Ponzinibbio has the exact right style to beat Baeza based on what we've seen in Baeza's weaknesses, right? Baeza can be pressured to the fence. He was hurt by Matt Brown, who's not going to be, you know, as uh, he's not going to have the conditioning to keep that going for three rounds. And he naturally got tired and then got finished by Baeza. Ponzinibbio, as long as his chin held up, as long as he was confident, he was going to be able to execute this. And I just didn't believe that he was where he was prior to the three years off. Like, he almost apparently almost died with a serious infection that he had, like some serious, serious physical issues. And the way that he came back in his last matchup against Xing uh, Jingli, Liang Li was not impressive, right? And even though he had the six or seven fight win streak come, leading up to that, you just, you, you couldn't help but feel that Ponzinubbio was a fraction of his former self uh, and and yeah man Baeza did a good job early but Ponzinubbio started to take over in that second or third round so his pressure started to uh, bring uh, like essentially bring on the fruit of its labor to, to show some worth and uh, he's a guy that gets stronger over the course of the fight. Naturally as a pressure fighter your opponent's going to get more tired over the course of the fight and uh, if this was a five rounder I imagine Ponzinubbio would have probably been able to get a finish in that fourth or fifth round. What were your thoughts on this one?
0: Yeah, I agree. This was we knew and we said last week that this was the fight fans, uh, the fight that fight fans were most looking forward to, and it, it really delivered. I thought those calf kicks were gonna put were gonna put Punzunabio down. I thought it was over um, after that first round. But man, to reach that, uh, to reach deep, um, to to maintain that composure uh he, his leg was buckling like like Henry Cejudo's did and like a lot of other fighters like Sean O'Malley who have who have you know kind of quit uh the fight have but it that was happening and i was like this guy's got a bum wheel he is done and he 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 kept going he shook it off he checked a couple of them he started throwing his own which were incredibly damaging uh, and caught Baeza off guard, and he took he just took back control of the fight. And Baeza never stopped trying to win, which is why this was great. He he was landing, but he wasn't he wasn't landing as hard. Uh, Pazinibio had more power. Um, I felt like he had the the slightly better chin. I think like he had the better defense, a uh, better chin, not because Baeza like he has a weak chin, but you could see the the punches were. You know, either because they were harder or because of his chin, they were they were affecting him more. You saw his eyes. You saw his eyes go. You saw his head snap back. Um, he was still touching Ponzinibbio, but it it uh, he wasn't he wasn't knocking him across the cage, uh, which is what we saw. And again, Ponzinibbio got stronger as you said as the fight went on, and it was still close. You know, it was still close. That second round, Baeza, I really felt like had won the first part of it, but the second part of it, uh, definitively with the power shots, went to Ponzinibbio who fought like he was fighting for his career and it's like i didn't know he i didn't know he was an announcer which make which makes sense uh knowing you know how how kind of what uh, how bright of a guy he is um and i didn't know he was part of the spanish language uh announce table and and yeah he just it was impressive i didn't want to see baeza lose i thought it was like i thought it was going to be his you know the uh, his coming out party would would uh would happen and and we and Ponzinibbio was past his prime, but he just you know he maintained it. He maintained the territory, and I think he's earned. I think he's earned a big fight. And and Baeza, like, Baeza will come back. I think he needs to get stronger. He's not you know he's not probably not done growing yet. How old is he? He's in his twenties, right?
1: Yeah, I think like 26, 27, something like that as a young guy.
0: Yeah, like I think he. I think for the weight class, he probably needs to. Um, I think he was he was the leaner man uh, for sure, and. You know, I think if he's going to be durable taking shots from a, a guy like that, he he maybe needs to fill out a little bit more. But I mean, he's skilled and he attack he does attack from everywhere, and he's really he's really really good. He's really good, but he was just he was in there with a a legit top ten you know a, a guy with top ten skills in the in the division maybe top five skills uh, who was not just going to give up his his place, and he kept the gate man I you know great fight.
1: Yeah, really phenomenal fight. The story the story of this fight was essentially for Ponzinibbi. It was all about his extremely effective jab. I talked about it, how he's one of the best jabbers in MMA. And man, did that work. Man, was that consistent. And for Baeza, it was all about that um, low calf kick, right? But we talked about this before, where like there is a way to defend the calf kick. No doubt about it. You turn your shin out enough, they will hit the bone, and they will hurt their shin at least as much as your shin will hurt, right? And after a kick or two like that, after you check it, they're not going to want to kick your shin anymore. But... He wasn't so much checking it. The thing that Ponzinibbio has is the mental strength to fight through that, right? There are some guys that are going to drop and give up, like you mentioned O'Malley. Ponzinibbio is just too stubborn. He's mentally too strong. He's not going to let that kind of fight put him on his back and let a guy finish him. Um, He's going to keep pretending like it's not bothering him, even though it looks the entire fight like he is slipping and sliding particularly fascinating because you would think the perfect answer to the jab the jab that uh when you're jabbing right you have a lot of weight on your front foot it's the perfect thing to do is to kick him in the leg kick him in the calf and so you would think Baeza would get the edge there but Ponzinibbio was way too mentally strong man he was not going to let that deter him he started landing like you said calf kicks of his own really really phenomenal work and for Ponzinibbio man it's all about that jab and his opponents start stressing and worrying about that jab they start they, they start defending, uh, focusing their defense on that jab. And that's when his big right hand comes in. And that shit is powerful. Makes guys really want to relent and go back and get out of punching range with the man. But Ponzinibbio's style is he cuts off the ring. He gets you up, uh, cuts off the cage, gets you up against that cage. You have nowhere to go but to essentially be a sitting duck for his jab and his right hand. Really phenomenal fight. Uh, and, and man, that third round in particular, Ponzinibbio was consistent with those leg kicks. I love that he yeah. basically added that, adjusted his game plan for the fight. And was extremely effective doing it I love to see Ponzinibbio back I consider him to be a serious contender before his hiatus really great to see him uh uh, get having some success here outside of that we can quickly breeze through everything I think we got Gregory Rodriguez who took a short notice uh matchup against Dusko Todorovic really solid work by Rodriguez uh you you picked Todorovic and I and I had serious doubts I, I mentioned that as an underdog he was worth a play um, it was a you know, somewhat competitive fight, but I thought Rodriguez clearly took it. Montana Del Rosa, you made fun of me for picking her, Nick.
0: You disagree. I still think I still don't think she's very good. I still don't think she's very any good. You don't have think, to I be think- you don't I'm sorry, first of
1: all, she's good. She's not excellent. She's good. Arian Lipsky though is Arian Lipsky. She doesn't have much heart. You talked about her. Arian yeah, Lipsky has more heart. Crazy talk. Arian Lipsky, um listen, she's a finisher on the on the feet. She has heavy hands, nasty knees, if she if you let her take on that pressure, but On the ground, man, she she just came off a loss on the fricking ground of all things to Antonina Shevchenko, who you yourself said has a shitty ground game. So, yeah, I, I was fairly confident in Montana De La Rosa in that one, and the odds reflected that. Ilir Latifi basically held on to Tanner Belzer. I mean, if Ilir was going to win that fight and that was your call under, an underdog. I got my, I got my right.
0: underdog pick.
1: Th- that's right. The reason that you were able to uh, to, uh, to inch that half point on me is, one, because the extra point for this uh, fight and, obviously, that Mason Jones situation. But good on you for making that underdog pick early. Like I said, I'm up on you on this, Nick. I'm not letting you get those uh, those good underdog picks uh sooner than me uh then we had muslim slikov basically what we expected trinaldo's a mentally strong guy legit did a great job kamala kirk we discussed i thought he deserved it with his damage um and uh mano Ferre is a nasty nasty woman i fear her like if we're in the same room i'm gonna leave the room out of respect and fear that lady is no joke and she is as explosive and fast as it gets she looked like martin Cantman in there she was fierce <laughs> Well, Martin Kamlin's on the slow side and he has no defense. She looked like just an explosive, uber, uber fast monster. Of, I mean, just a monster of a human being, like super impressive. And the Ricci is like a talented grappler. Has a judo. I think black belt has a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. She's legit. So that was impressive. Sean Woodson outworks Yusuf Zalal in a great
0: Very, player. very, very pretty, too, I should say. I had a little Tabitha Ricci crush. But
1: All right. Okay. I, I like it, Nick. Um, and then uh, Claudio Puelas beat Jordan Levitt. basically two guys with low athleticism and grappling alone. And uh, Claudio Puelas' grappling took over in that second round. Any thoughts on any of those, bud?
0: You know, Yusuf Zalal, I don't know. Kid's talented. I almost wonder if he's if it's possible for him to get down to 135. I don't. I don't feel like he's got the uh I don't feel like he's got the muscle um to succeed at at featherweight. Uh the si- the size and the muscle. He's te- he's technically, you know, quite good and he tried to wrestle a bit here cuz he's got so, you know, maybe I mean saying he's got the more well-rounded game is not it's kind of a backhanded compliment cuz Sean Woodson isn't much of a wrestler at all. Right. Um but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's three losses for three losses for Zalal. Um I just, I'm cur- I, I don't know, I won, I wonder, um, I wonder if he's got a brighter future at 135. Just throwing it out there.
1: Uh, I mean, look, I, I could, I don't know, he's 510. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but to your point, he was. I, I mean. <laughs>
0: You know, Woodson's six two.
1: <laughs> no, no, but Woodson is like an anomaly. But he did just fight Sung Woo Choi, who's also like right in that six foot range. He fought Ilya Tapori, who's not very tall but extremely powerful and explosive. Yeah, like it, it's 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 tough. These three fights in a row were not easy matchups. Sean Woodson, I would say, was the most winnable of them, and he and he unfortunately couldn't quite uh, pull that off. But I'm still looking for. Yeah, uh, I still think he's a talented guy, and he could be. Maybe he could be a little bit of a
0: gatekeeper He is a talented for the, guy for that top fifteen. I just. I mean he's just he's young so I want to I'm like he's 24 years old I like I want to know what his path is you know like and he's kind of getting he's get, he's getting kind of muscled like he's a, like he's the third pettis brother and I'm like I just wonder I just I don't know I don't know what the uh, I don't know what the answer is I just I see him continuing to get out muscled at 145
1: Yep Yeah, no, I definitely hear you. But again, outside of Sean Woodson, those other two guys that he fought, literally, I believe, top five, like, level skill. And this division is deep as heck. So look if he can make 135 great but at 510 I don't know how likely that is it might be it might be good for him you're honestly making a good point he probably will uh his shots his punches will have more effect there he'll probably be able to hurt guys there because he's skilled but he's not really that dangerous right and, and like he has gotten a flying knee knockout in the past but it's not something he can rely on regularly so yeah I'm, I'm there with you I like Zalal a lot I, I think he's fun to watch and I'm always going to look forward to his fights, but it is a shame to see a kid this talented who often enough looks this smooth on a three-fight losing skid. Nikolai, we have UFC 263 to break down um, essentially the rematch that nobody asked for. Uh, There were other people that could have taken that spot and could have been challenging for the UFC middleweight title, but uh, it seems like, you know, it's a timing thing where Marvin Vittoria was available and, you know, they have a little bit of a backstory. Marvin Vittoria is willing to talk shit leading up to a fight, which can build a fight and help with pay per view sales. So uh, he got the spot. We got another rematch, uh, Figueroa Moreno to break down. Leonardo ideas. and Diaz. We have a lot to get into, Nick. 14 fights. Let's take a break, come back, and get into our MMA Geeks draft, Nick. I am five and a half, half points ahead. You are slowly
0: inching your way up. Not for long, bitch. <laughs> 209.
1: And we are back on the MMA Geeks Sea level Podcast here to get into the MMA Geeks draft for UFC 263. Nick, we each take turns picking fighters on the upcoming card. We're going to break them down for you as we go. And the idea is that whoever scores more points at the end of Saturday night ends up getting those attributed points. As of now, I am five and a half points up on Nick. Uh, Nick picked up a two-pointer last week by picking an underdog. If you pick an underdog of plus 150 or above, and that underdog comes through for you, you end up getting two points instead of one. Nikolai, you have the first pick this time, buddy.
0: I don't see an underdog pick that I'm like, this needs to be first, I gotta jump on this. Um, so I'm gonna go with what I think. Listen, there's some fights that I think are I, I can call pretty confidently. But I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with, and I also think there's two picks on here that are just straight up evidence-based picks. And I'm gonna make my first pick Davis and Figueredo over Brandon Moreno, uh, just based on evidence. It doesn't mean that these are the fighters that are necessarily the furthest apart from skill level. It just means that not that long ago we saw everything Brandon Moreno had, and and Davis and Figueredo be able to uh, take it in what was a clear, an exciting, but but very clear cut. Um, decision he just he hit he's I just think he he hits harder he's scarier um, he's, da- he's dangerous from everywhere and he also uh, knows I also think he knows how to win rounds um, I, I think that it's a I don't know what Brandon Moreno could have done since the last fight to um, convince me that he's got a better shot with a Figueredo who hasn't already spent 25 minutes with him
1: yeah, I definitely hear where you're coming from. Um, I, I don't know if I, I'm certainly not as confident. This one's a few picks down the rung. Like, I'll, I guess I'll start with my like what I saw in that first fight. Right, um, scorecards wise, it ended up being a draw with two of the judges scoring at a draw. Part of that, well, a big reason for that is that in the third round, Figueredo landed a pretty serious uh, uh, groin shot. That hurt Moreno pretty bad. And for that reason, because of the effect that it had on Moreno, the referee had no choice but to take a point. And that's what kind of attributed to that draw. But quickly, in the first round, Moreno landed several clean jabs and a takedown early. Figueiredo landed a power jab and head kick that was set up by several calf kicks. Both landed exactly 28 strikes on 55 attempts. If there's a 10-10 round... This one is in, in my opinion, could go either way. Like there's an easy argument to be made for either guy, but let's say for the sake of the score, we'll give it to the we'll give it to Moreno, J- just for the sake of argument. Second round, Davidson was busier. Um, Moreno seems capable of getting body lock takedowns almost at will, but it's tough to keep keep Figueroa down since he creates a scramble every time, uh, elevates you uh, with his legs if you're in his guard from that butterfly gets up to his feet at whatever costs, and he does it really, really well. This is another super close round that I'd give to Figueroa since he landed a couple more strikes, but Brandon got two takedowns, landed a clean overhand right, and a couple of left hooks in addition to his jab. Another possible 10-10, but like I said, I'll give it to Figueroa since he did a bit more damage, uh, closing one of Moreno's eyes with one of his shots. Third round, Figueroa came out even more aggressive in this round as he goes for big power shots, but telegraphs more. Yeah, he left himself off balance a couple times. He landed a low blow while going for the kill. That hurt him, uh, gave Moreno a little bit of a break, made it a 9-9 round, a clear-cut round for Figueredo. That has to be 9-9 because of that point deducted from Figueredo. Uh, Fourth round, Moreno takes the round clearly with a couple of successful takedowns, landing more big shots than Figgy did. Figueredo looked tired after a busy second and third round, and that's something to pay attention to, right? Can Moreno take over in the second half of the fight? Fifth round, Moreno took his foot off the pedal on this one. And in my opinion, this was his opportunity. And I think I said this in the post-show after after this uh, pay-per-view event. Moreno cannot afford to take his foot off the pedal in the fifth round. That's his best opportunity. And it allowed figueredo to win the round with a couple of big moments. Um, and, and that's the thing, right? Can Moreno make it through the damage that he takes in the first half of the fight and still push, 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 and do really well in that fourth and fifth round? That's going to really be a big factor in this one. figueredo's eye pokes. Um, he 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 got multiple eye pokes. Uh, that low blow. So there were things that Figueroa did that took some kind of some energy out for, uh, away from Moreno that could be a factor here again. It seems as if they have very similar skills, similar techniques, similar speed, right? But Figueroa, being the bigger man with more fast twitch muscle fibers, heavier hands, means his shots will be louder and more pronounced, causing more damage and obviously making a bigger impression on the judges. Moreno has the edge in wrestling, but they're closely matched in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which means he's unable to keep the champ down. Moreno is more technical with his hands, but Figueiredo uses more of his tools and has more power, right? Moreno is mostly dangerous with his hands and that left head kick, which I think might just be a factor. Figueiredo has, I mean, he uses his elbows, his knees, his kicks, his punches, everything is dangerous. Seems like either guy has the ability to counter the other, but whichever attacks first tended to have the edge in the first fight. Moreno landed bigger shots when he was the aggressor, though, and Figueredo landed the bigger shots when he uh, when he was countering Moreno. I think Moreno has what it takes to beat Figueredo, but it'll require like the perfect game plan and the perfect execution of it. Um, he has to keep his jab going, but ready to counter Figueredo's counter to the jab, right? Figueredo was throwing his right hand over the top of Moreno's jab. Moreno needs to be ready for that and to counter that right hand. When Figgy kicks, he tried to counter, uh, Moreno tried to counter with his hands. He should counter with his kicks instead. His hands are not gonna reach as far and he was just short every time. But if he counters with a kick, then Figueiredo's on one foot taking a kick to whether it be the head or the body, that creates an opportunity for Moreno. Uh, Moreno was able to grab the body lock and take Figueiredo down with little resistance several times, but he should work on solidifying the half guard. Where in the half guard, it's harder to just sweep your way out of it and get uh, and and uh, and make it back to your feet. If you can hold that position for 60 plus seconds, That could be the difference between winning and losing a close round. Obviously, he'll need to land a bit of ground and pound without taking Figgy's elbows from bottom, which complicates things because Figueredo constantly attacks. Uh, Moreno should keep his head movement going and be ready to counter with boxing combos that end with a left hook and a head kick, specifically left hook to the head kick. He had more success landing his left hook than did Figueredo at the end of an exchange, but the kick will kind of make it clear that Moreno won the exchange, even if Figueredo defends it. Um, he also has to be ready to put in the best rounds of his life for rounds four and five. He can't afford to let the damage and fatigue set in late, which gave Figueredo the fifth round last time. Um, one big difference in this matchup is that Moreno knows he can compete with Figueroa, and he knows he can potentially beat him this time. I'm not as convinced that he was sure of it last time. Um, so he should walk in with more confidence, right? But Figueroa now knows that Moreno is capable of that as well, whereas I could see figueredo underestimating him previously, which means... He won't under, underestimate him this time, presumably. He also won't be surprised when Moreno's still there and competitive in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds after taking a bunch of shots. Um, I'm giving the edge to the champ again because I think his offense is more pronounced and Moreno had trouble keeping him down. But I will say another factor, I don't know if this is true, but Figueredo claims that he was sick the night before in the hospital and that took a lot out of him. If he performed the way he, that he did and he was sick the night before, that's, that's like pretty freaking impressive and hard to believe, to be honest. Um, and he says that this time he's going to walk in there and get him out of there. He's going to knock him out. Um, so his confidence, I, I guess, should give you some confidence in the pick, but I, I'm definitely less confident than you are in this one, buddy.
0: Well, uh, you know, fortune favors the bold, bitch. Whoa,
1: whoa, <laughs> what is with what is, what this bitch reference?
0: Nah, nah, nah. Listen, I'm not surprised. That's what I'm going to say when I beat you, 209.
1: All right. You're really re- repping 209 hard, Nick. You ever been to Stockton, California?
0: Yes, I have actually. Have you really? I've been out in the Sacra yeah, have been out in the Sacramento River Delta, man. Driving through Stockton and Lodi, living on. I've been on a friggin' houseboat in the rivers where people, are go- <laughs> people are going by on crazy jet skis who all look like Diaz brothers with metal militia sweatshirts on. I'm not kidding. I used to live in the Bay Area, man. Let, let me get this straight. What
1: you think that Nate Diaz grew up? And like with a gang on jet skis, you, you, you think that's the kind of upbringing he had?
0: It's like sublime land. Everyone's into extreme sports. And I was like, yeah, I absolutely believe that if you tell me that, that the Diaz brothers have not been on ATVs or jet skis that have um, flames on them, I'll tell you you're a liar. Fair enough. Like, you
1: know what, Nick? Uh, with, with that, you have shown me that you have the kind of street cred that I didn't realize you had before. And had I known in the first 103 episodes of this podcast, Nick, I would have been a lot more respectful. Just throwing that out there. 209, Nikolai. 209. My first pick is going to be in the fight that I happen to think is the most lopsided on paper, the fight that I'm the most confident in the result of. It's in the Nate uh, Diaz-Leon Edwards matchup. Nick, Leon Edwards is a legitimate welterweight. He is pretty large for that weight division, standing at 6'2". He is filled out for that weight division, right? Got, Got a decent bit of muscle on him. Relatively young guy. He was born in the 90s. He still hasn't hit 30, Nick. And... He's on a huge winning streak against like some really top level competition, right? Yeah. He's got what, eight wins in a row at this point against Dos Años, Gunnar Nelson, Donald Cerrone, Brian Barbanera, Vicente Luque, Albert Tumanov. These are not shitty fighters that he's getting pretty decisive wins over, like. Almost none of these fights are, like, really close nail biters that could go either way. And he's, fading, he's facing Nate Diaz, who was never really a very big welterweight, right? Like, big lightweight, not really undersized Walter welterweight throughout his career, um, who's coming off of a one and two run, and his one win is over Anthony Pettis, who's way past his prime, who's losing in PFL nowadays. I just think like Nate Diaz has very little hope in this matchup. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to predict Nick that Leon Edwards has like a 75% chance of finishing this fight since it's a five round fight. I think he's got plenty of time to put some damage on Nate Diaz. And quite frankly, Nick, I think he's going to finish him with a left head kick to the dome, or at least that's going to set up the finish. Nate Diaz is very open to head kicks. He's been head kicked repeatedly throughout his UFC career, finished only maybe once. Uh, but man, a lot of guys have gotten clean head kicks against this guy, including George Masvidal, who I believe knocked him down with it, including um, uh, Josh Thompson. Josh who Thompson knocked him out with, with it. it. That's right, yeah. Um, and and I believe there, there's a couple of other examples where he wasn't necessarily finished but hurt. I think maybe Michael Johnson may, may have tagged him with a head kick as well. And Leon Edwards tosses that head kick with steam, man. So I think the southpaw versus southpaw matchup is, is going to be relatively interesting. Both guys like to pressure. Nate Diaz pressures with basically swarming, right? He just nonstop throws offense until he overwhelms his opponent and not wanting to fight anymore. His opponent drops uh, to to the cage and, and and basically allows himself to be finished. Um, whereas Leon Edwards, he pressures with fakes and feints, waits for you to throw something at him, comes back at you with a big shot, and just kind of patiently plies his trade that way. Um, I think that uh, Leon Edwards being the bigger man is going to be a factor. Him hitting harder on paper, at least, is going to be a big factor. Yeah, Nate Diaz has more tenacity. Nate Diaz on paper should be able to uh, put more numbers out there without getting tired, but I think he's going to take a lot of damage over the course of this fight. I think the seven-year age difference between these two guys – I think that's going to play a factor. I think the fact that Nate Diaz isn't regularly competing, the fact that you can't name a single guy on his team besides Nick Diaz, who like, like yeah, he's got a couple of good grapplers, but um, I'm sure he spars with some decent boxing guys. But how many like high-level MMA fighters are sparring Nate Diaz day in and day out? Not a lot. And I know that Nate Diaz delusionally believes himself to be champion of I don't know what with like a guy who hasn't been able to put together more than two wins in, I think, like seven or eight years at this point. He basically wins one and loses one, or wins two, loses two. This is going to be a second loss in a row as I think he gets handled by Leon Edwards. If he can pull this win off, he's going to be in for a title shot. But I don't think he's going to. And if Leon Edwards can make a statement, he is going to be the next guy to challenge for uh, the title. Unfortunately, he's going to be another guy who's going to surpass Steven Thompson, who I think deserves it at this point. What are your thoughts, buddy?
0: Well, me, mate, me, me uh, a couple of things. I one, I pretty much agree with everything you say. Link Diaz has not been active over the last six years, um, or five years. I mean, he beat he beat Connor on my 40th birthday, so that was five years ago, and he's only fought three times since then, and he's lost twice. Uh, most of those rounds getting pieced up. He's durable, but the sports the sport has moved on, and the Diaz brothers have been legends for the last decade, uh, but not particularly active. And even when they were in their prime, they had you know they had weaknesses in that they weren't. Uh, you know they weren't. They didn't have much of an answer for collegiate style wrestling. Leon Edwards for is like, you know, there it's he's like taking uh, a Michael a Michael Bisbing, uh kickboxer, I think, with more power and giving him better, uh, you know, better wrestling at like a younger age. He's super. I also think he's he's more athletic. Yeah, um, he's a dangerous, dangerous. He's a dangerous guy. I think I could see this. I could actually just because Diaz is so tough, uh, I could see this fight like the Masvidal one ending with cut by cuts. Um, it was going to be very up there in you know, up there in my picks. I can't imagine Nate's—it's just—I can't—you know, being in cage shape is it, tricky. Like, he may be well-conditioned, but he just hasn't been an active fighter. Um, Edwards has been not insanely active, but certainly much more active. Um, I, I don't think that beating Nate Diaz uh, gets Leon Edwards a title shot. I think it gets him a fight with George Masvidal, um, which is a big fight. And if they put it on ESPN Plus or ESPN Regular, gets a lot of eyeballs, and that sets Edwards up for his title shot. Even though Masvidal is coming off of that KO, they still have the three-piece video they can play back. I think Leon Edwards uh, wins that fight handily. Um, So I think think, think Nate Diaz is a stepping stone to Masvidal and hopefully potentially creating a star out of this young man.
1: The only thing I'm going to disagree with you on, because I agree with almost everything you said, is... I don't think it's, uh, like, I think Leon Edwards with a statement win. It's not that Nate Diaz is a highly ranked fighter, but he's a well-known fighter. And there's a reason Kumara Usman is willing to fight Nate Diaz, who's, like, one and two in his last three, is because he's a money fight, right? So if you can get a win over him, that's something people are going to remember. It's going to put you at the top of people's minds in the welterweight division, and I think that will put him in a position where he's already demanding a title shot, even before this this last no contest with um, with uh, um, Bilal muhammad Maybe. So the only aspect that I disagree with it is, is that I, I do think he's going to vie for the title shot. Will Leon Edwards accept the fight if they give it to him? Yes. Do I think that um, Do I think that George Masvidal will want anything to do with him? Hell no, motherfucker. He ain't no fool. He's not going to take that fight after a two-fight losing streak. I think Masvidal is going to be looking for somebody a lot more beatable, like maybe Nate Diaz, who will also be coming off a loss. So I, I think it's a little bit more likely because it's a money fight. I
0: also, Yeah, maybe, maybe. He already, no. he already beat Nate Diaz, though. I mean, I guess they have yeah, unfinished business, but he there's, beat there's, Nate Diaz handily. I 100% agree with you. It's not a fight I want to see again. The expiration date on Masvidal money is is going down
1: nate diaz is one and two in his last three and it's still he's still a huge star it doesn't work that way for these guys for some reason conor mcgregor is like one and five in his last several and he's still a star people still want to see him fight people don't know people's records it's the weirdest thing man
0: yeah i just i could we'll see i could see the masvidal fight happening before edwards gets back to uzman
1: yeah. What is your second pick, buddy? We dove in because these were two of the bigger fights, but uh, obviously we can spend a
0: little less time yeah, on some of Yeah, the We re- we really did. My second pick's also going to be based on evidence. Uh, I like Darren Stewart a lot. Darren Stewart was getting pieced up and handled by the new in shape, faster, crisper, leaner uh, Eric Anders, who did not look like the the plotting, uh, middleweight that we had that we had seen previously. Um, I, f- I thought that was going to be a very even fight. I thought I had. I think I picked Stewart. In fact, and I thought Anders was in cruise control on his way. Um, I think he'll be even more composed this time. And as much again, as much as I like Stewart, I think that's trouble. I think I think Anders' power is a real problem for him.
1: Yeah, I mean Anders' his big issue was he would get tired over the course of the fight. His big issue was that he didn't throw enough. I think because he wasn't confident enough in his output. Um, and he does have on paper athleticism. He's not very fast, but he looked faster in that last matchup. Here's the thing. I, I could definitely see that fight also going a different direction. Do I think Darren Stewart was actually badly hurt by that knee? I don't. He might have been. I wasn't there. I wasn't the one that took it. But watching it live,
0: he was he was hurt badly before exactly.
1: that. He was definitely hurt Ex- exactly. before that. And, and so yeah. that that was probably the bigger factor in him either not being willing to or not being able to continue. Um, the thing is that Darren Stewart will walk in now knowing that Eric Anders is gonna be in shape. Eric Anders, by the way, has been training with fight ready MMA move on to a goddamn real team for those fighters like osp who've been struggling uh, with these old coaches who have a bunch of amateur fighters against them he's now training with legitimate uh, legitimate training partners right he's now has a real conditioning program he's training with a serious training camp he looks like a different human being he's taking advantage of his athleticism and i love that um i'm not as sure as you are though granted the fight was going his way especially once he hurt darren stewart I don't know that Eric Andrews' cardio would have still been there for him late, even though he looks in better shape. He was putting a lot out there. He kept going for takedowns. That's tiring. He kept going for power shots. That's tiring. If um, we know Darren Stewart gets stronger over the course of the fight, we saw that in a couple of his matchups, right? If Darren Stewart made it through that first round. I could definitely see him taking over in the second and third round. So less confident with you, but I I, I am, itching, uh, but I am uh, edging toward Eric Anders since we saw that he has the power to hurt Darren Stewart. And I also think mentally there are weaknesses in Darren Stewart. And I could see him like walking in with like very little confidence in this matchup against the guy who like, you know, dropped him pretty early last time and was having his way. Uh, My next pick is going to be, and I've made the mistake of picking against this man in the past, Nick, and, and, and he tends to find those upsets against the up and comers. I'm going to pick Jamal Hill to beat Paul Craig. I think Jamal Hill is something special he if you look at his record nick it's it's actually kind of impressive like he was literally kind of thrown into the fire from very early in his like literally from his first amateur fight right if if topology has his record correct his first amateur fight right when he was oh 0 with absolutely no experience was against a five and and0 dylan ankley ankeny five and and0 he was in the amateurs right probably held a title there at five and 0 and this dude beat him in the second round by knockout his um you know mma debut was against alex davidson who had a bunch of amateur fights was fairly successful the only other guy to beat dylan ankney and he beat him um a couple of fights later he's fighting a guy who's 19 and 7 daquan thompson who's you know in the, in the ufc at this point he was 3-0 at the time nick when he beat him by decision then he fought a guy named alexander Popic when he was 5-0 like he's constantly going up against guys that are way above him in experience and skill he beat up klitson Abreo, who's 15-4 at the time right? He was 7-0 and going into that bout. He beat up OSP, 25-14. He was only 7-0 and going into that one. That's insanity. So uh, I think Jamal Hill is something special. There's always a chance that Paul Craig ends up getting that submission um, off of his back late in the fight after getting dominated. But just judging by the way that Paul Craig has looked against uh, guys like Enzuchuku, uh, who's like, you know, a taller guy who's much more raw than is Jamal Hill, he was having his way with him for two rounds before he got caught. Mauricio Hua, even in that last fight, like, look good standing up and we thought that paul craig was much improved standing up i think he's decent there i don't think he's great i think his double leg is dangerous and that's what jamal hill has to be uh careful of i think jamal hill's knee will be a good answer to that from southpaw i like jamal hill to look good here and continue his trek up that light heavyweight ladder he is one of the prospects of light heavyweight that i'm most excited about
0: yeah i'm i'm, I'm with you here although i i i do paul craig does seem to pull uh Snatched uh, victory from victory the, from the jaws really of defeat. So I was I'm a little I'm a little shaky on this, but I, I just because of his craftiness. But I hear you, um, and I would gonna have the same pick. It's just not I wasn't leaning into this one uh, early, and I don't feel good enough about Craig even at plus two forty uh, to make that to make that underdog pick. I am gonna make an underdog pick now though that is going to net me two points um, because I think that uh, the world is underrating uh, the talented Canadian veteran Alexis Davis. Um, who's a plus 165 underdog against Penny Kianzad? Uh, Kianzad's good, like she's good, but I I believe that Davis uh, really loses to the very loses or split to gets, uh, uh, or split decisions the very best, um, the you know top five fighters, and I don't think Penny is a is a top five fighter. I think Davis looked great against Sabina Mazzo. Um, I just just think that she, I don't think that Kanzad has any of like Alexis Davis kryptonite and that Davis should be able to, you know, tough out a 29 uh, 28 decision here.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And this is a good underdog pick. I think at plus 180, it's a really good value. I I would even seriously consider investing um, uh, some money into Alexis Davis by decision. She's not likely to finish Kanzad. Yeah, yeah, definitely by decision. I'm definitely there with you. Let me quickly look up the odds for our listeners here to see if this is really a bet worth putting down. Davis-Kianzad, for Davis to win by decision, is plus 320, 100% worth investing in, especially if you put Kianzad in a parlay to kind of hedge. Um, I I think those are phenomenal odds, and that's, uh, uh, in my opinion, like a... 45% 45% chance of that fight going toward Alexis Davis. Um, I, I guess I'll agree with Alexis Davis. I do think Keon Zod is like pretty dynamic on the feet, but Keon has given up several takedowns. She does a good job of getting back up. But I think Alexis Davis has better cardio, more craftiness, and uh, better Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu than some of the girls that Keon has been getting back up against, although maybe her takedowns are not dynamic enough. Um, so look, th- this to me is pretty even fight. I, I think the odds are way too wide, and, uh, and I'm in agreement with you. I think it's a good opportunity for you to take advantage of. My next pick is going to be. This is where things get a little bit tougher, in my opinion. Nick, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go for an underdog myself. Let's see if this can possibly work out for me. In the Damian Maya bilal Muhammad matchup. I'm going to pick Damian Maya,
0: and wow, is it, yeah,
1: is is that one that you seriously disagree with? I th- I thought you would see this opportunity. I thought you agree with me.
0: Uh, it's not. It's it's not. It's not that I seriously disagree with it. It's just. Uh-huh. It's just, it's just tricky, man. I don't like, I like Muhammad. I think his ceiling is, it's just like, he's, he's younger and he's younger and more athletic and has a good wrestling pedigree. And I don't know that he's submission prone, but you're dealing with the greatest submission grappler, maybe in MMA history, but who's, you know, who's really old and, and the right, right, the right place shot could, could put him down. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like this is, this is a, it's a, it's honestly the kind of fight that I just stay away from because I'm just like I don't, I don't fucking.
1: Know. I definitely, I definitely hear where you're coming so It's not that
0: I ma- – I w- it was a wow, it was a wow for like the ball, the ballsiness and the conviction versus that I disagree with you. I'm just like, geez, I look at this and I'm like, I don't know what's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, no, I do hear that. Here's the thing though, um, Damian Maya is like a, he's a prolific submission grappler. Everybody knows that. That's, that's like his legacy, right? That, that that's what everybody expects from him. But he's become a really effective wrestler over the years. And Bilal Muhammad hasn't really fought anybody with solid wrestling in, in the recent past. So, yeah, he hasn't gotten taken down a lot. He has a high takedown defense percentage. But between Diego Lima, Lyman Good, Takashi Sako, Curtis Millinder, these are guys who want to stay on the feet and don't want to go to the ground. The opposite of what he's facing in this matchup, right? Chance Rencountry, like Tim Means, none of these guys are prolific takedown artists. This is his first matchup where, like, besides Leon Edwards, who didn't really go hard for any takedowns, in my opinion, this is, like, his first matchup where there's going to be concerted effort to take him down, and once he's down... He's gonna be able to control him, I think Damian Maya is. Like, granted, Gilbert Burns was able to get up to his feet a couple times, but that's not the same animal, dude. Like, like this is this is a very different guy. I get that Damian Maia is 43. I get that he was clipped recently, but Bilal Muhammad is known for anything but his power. He's got serious output, right? His conditioning is gonna have an edge over Damian Maia's. If this was a five-round fight, it would favor Bilal Muhammad easily without much question, because I don't think Damian Maia is gonna submit him early, but Um, I can't see Bala Muhammad starting to take over late in the second round, land some big shots, do some damage in that third round, starting to take over against a very tired 43-year-old. So definitely a possibility. But I figured this is an opportunity worth taking, man, a plus 200. Um, It's certainly one that I would take a flyer on. And just quickly, I think Damian Maia, if he does win this fight, I think it's extremely likely that it happens by decision. And the odds on that is plus 550 is the best odds you can get on that. That is absolutely worth putting like, I don't know, 20 bucks on to win 110.
0: Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't that long ago that he that he that he owned Askren. Um so we'll you know we'll see. But it's uh, really I mean interesting pick. I, I give you credit for the guts there and going for the underdog to try to get some of those points to counteract um, my glorious underdog wins.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, Nick, and you know what? I really hope it works out for me. We'll see what happens. Maybe I'll never pick an underdog again after this. What's your next pick, buddy?
0: I'm gonna go. Listen, I think this is a really, really good fight, but I'm gonna pick uh, the favorite, Drew Dober, over Brad Riddell. I love Brad Riddell, uh, but Drew Dober, I mean, Drew Dober is all- like Brad Riddell is a dangerous, fast striker. Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, he's the, he's the he's the striking coach at City Kickboxing, or at least the kickboxing coach. Um, but Drew, but I believe that Drew Dober is strong- is stronger uh, and more well-rounded, and that means that in order to get to that kickboxing range. I don't think Drew Dober is just going to hang out in the pocket and eat kicks and wait to and wait to land a combination. I think he's going to make this fight rough. Uh, I think he's going to dirty box. I think He's going to get Riddell up against the cage. I think he's probably going to uh, go for a couple of takedowns. I think that we're just going to see a, a, a more complete, stronger uh, fighter uh, in in Drew Dober. If he if he stays in the pocket or and just like tries to have. Uh, either a straight up boxing match or or a kickboxing match um, with Riddell, I think he knows and he's smart enough to know that that would be a mistake. And I don't, you know, I just I just don't see I don't see him doing that. And I think on the in the in the other aspects of the game, Dober has a massive advantage. So here's the
1: thing: I actually think Brad Riddell is the better wrestler in this matchup. Drew Dober's wrestling really? is atrocious, Nick. It's terrible. Almost everybody that oh. tries to take down against him gets it. Just about everybody. Granted, he's facing some good fighters. He's not facing shitty opponents, right? But just about everybody that makes a legitimate attempt at it gets it. Um, and Brad Riddell got a takedown against uh, Da Silva, in, uh, Alex Da Silva, in his last matchup. Alex Da Silva's a pretty good grappler, pretty athletic guy who's got a lot of experience in the grappling department. So, uh, And his takedown defense is really good. Riddell, oh, no, I shouldn't say it's really good. It's actually not phenomenal. He gets taken down. He just gets back up to his feet well. I do agree with you on the pick, though, because Drew Dober is faster than Riddell. Drew Dober is a fast starter and Drew Dober trains at elevation. So when Bradell starts to get stronger over the course of that second and third round, I don't know that it'll just be as simple as like the, you know, the guy with more kickboxing experience taking over. Dober trains with some seriously high level coaches, some high level training partners, including Justin Gaethje. So he knows what that level feels like. He's, uh, in my opinion, faster than Brad Riddell, even though Brad Riddell has more kickboxing experience. Uh, I think there's also a chance he hurts Brad Riddell. And granted, that could go either way. Both guys have serious power. Um, Drew Dober more on the offense. Brad Riddell more on the counter. I think Drew Dober's going to be the faster man. I think he's going to have... Um, part of the question in this matchup is who's going to be able to pressure. And I wouldn't be surprised if Brad Riddell somehow gets the edge there. Close matchup. Uh, I favor Drew Dober as well, though, but not as confidently as you. I, I wouldn't have had him up so high. My next pick, my fourth pick... Uh, for my draft is going to be a guy that I've had a lot of belief in for a long time, a guy that I'm looking forward to seeing the continuance of. He's fighting a fellow prospect in this one, a fellow hot prospect. I'm going to take Mofsar Evloev to beat Hakim Duwadu by decision. Here's the thing. Should the odds be minus 260 in favor of Mofsar Evloev? No, that's way too wide. Hakim Duwadu has excellent takedown defense, really just sharp, crisp, technical kickboxing, and he gets up to his feet if he needs to. The thing is that with Mofsar Avloev, his, his striking is definitely improving. It's definitely coming up there. His pressure, I think, will be more effective than Hakeem Duwadi, who's a really good pressure fighter himself, because Mof- Mofsar Evlov can just grab a hold of you and just not let you disengage, right? So kind of like Khabib in that he'll take you down. You'll get back up to your feet. You're still in the clinch with him. He's not letting you out. He's going to go for another takedown. Worst case, he's going to hold you there and he's going to knee your thigh. He's going to he's going to elbow you. He's going he's to land those clinch uppercuts. So... I think Mofsar Evlov will have what it takes to get past this fellow prospect. As a fan, very excited about this matchup. Very excited to see who can make it through this. As, like, from the matchmaking perspective, it's a little bit of, like, a weird thing. Why don't you let both of these guys work their way up into the top ten before putting them in a main event? Um... Fantastic matchup. It's just I just feel like we're gonna lose a prospect uh, or you know at least somebody's gonna take a prospect loss in this. And I'm not excited about either of these guys picking up a loss if they don't have to. I do expect for it to be competitive to one extent or another., uh, but I've got Mofsar of love by decision.
0: Yeah, I thought about making this my previous pick, and i I agree with you on all the, on all those points. Um, I'm gonna go big now and we'll see how this treats me, but I'm gonna pick the upset. I'm gonna go with another underdog pick. Marvin Vittori will be the new middleweight champion.
1: Whoa. Tell me more.
0: I I you know, I, I don't wanna say that Jan Bohovic showed us the the um the blueprint necessarily because I, I don't think Vittori is as big or strong as a wrestler. Um but he is good and Adesanya... you know Adesanya, is a hell of a striker but I think Vittori is really good at, at keeping distance I think he's really durable um, I think he's a, I just I think that he's a I think that he's a tough out and he was a tough out last time and I think he's he seems bigger and stronger and and more confident and I feel like his game has come along more um, than than Adesanya's has I Marvin Vittori is not gonna fight a stupid fight like Paulo Acosta did um, I I think he's more durable than Robert Whittaker. I think this is going to be this could be a split decision. I think this is going to be an ugly. I think this is going to be an ugly fight. Uh, I think Vittori is definitely going to get marked up a bit, but I don't think he's going to go anywhere. And I think that after those first two rounds, Adesanya uh, is going to be is going to find himself uh, in trouble. He's going to find himself tired, and he's going to find himself bullied around a little bit. I don't think the style bender is going to style on Marvin Vittori.
1: Yeah, I I do hear that and I like that uh, line at the end there. So I'm gonna start discussing this fight with the first matchup, right? And the first round was very close and could have gone either way. Izzy tends to like take the first round to measure his opponent to get his timing to see what their plan is to notice the openings, and then usually starts to take advantage of that late in the first, early in the second round. Izzy landed slightly more, and Vittori didn't look comfortable and in control, so Adesanya gets that edge in that first round. Like It seemed like Vittori was flailing at points, and it seemed like Vittori, even though he's ballsy enough to go in with offense, very wary of what was coming back at him, and so like it made him look less technical and less comfortable. Second round was close, but the edge to Izzy, Izzy had the bigger moments and landed more Third round was clearly Vittori's as he took advantage of Izzy's uh, kind of squaring up and relying on his head movement. You know, the way that Anderson Silva did before he got knocked out by Chris Weidman, where he just like bobbing and weaving with your feet kind of even. And Vittori was smart enough to go for the takedown in that moment, which I think was brilliant. Um, got top position, Izzy worked his way up shortly after, and then Izzy was like ballsy and foolish enough to try like a lateral throw, which uh, like, are you familiar with that? It's kind of the belly-to-belly suplex from pro wrestling and naturally ended yep. up on his back with Vitoria on top of him. Vittori rode out a couple of rounds, and then Izzy started to look good again on his feet as he got up late in in that round. So, like, look, competitive first round, I get that, and I could see that still being the case here because Izzy takes the first round largely off. Izzy has shown in certain matchups that he's going to be extremely careful and risk-averse, right? In the matchup against Romero, who has serious power, Romero, who landed a big overhand uh, on Izzy in the first round, Izzy got stumbled a bit, and from then on, Izzy was like, I am not taking a single goddamn risk. Um... Marvin Vittori is not dangerous, right? Like if Marvin Vittori gets top position, yeah, you're going to be on your back for a bit. Might make your way to, the, to back on your feet. Um, might even end the round on your back, but you're not going to be seriously damaged. It's not going to be terrible unless your grappling is absolutely terrible. He can submit you with an arm triangle or something if you give him the opportunity. Adesanya will have less reason to be scared of Vittori for that reason. is leagues above him in speed, leagues above him when it comes to technical output. But Vittori is going to pressure but the counter to counter that pressure, part of it at least is Adasanya's excellent footwork, Adasanya's countering game, and more importantly, the fact that this is a bigger cage. Adesanya will have a lot more room to use his lateral footwork without getting stuck up against that fence where Marvin's going to go for his takedowns or, his, or for his clinch. Um, I think that Adasanya's takedown defense is better now than it was years ago. This was, I think, his second UFC fight. And the fight before that, he got taken down like four times by... I think the guy was like Rob Wilkinson or something, like a really mediocre fighter. Um, took him, took out Sunny down several times, right? So Marvin Vittori getting a late takedown in that third round, but nothing before that. It's not super impressive back in 2018. Uh, at that point, uh, Israel Sunny, let me see. He had only been like two years into his MMA career, possibly. Oh, no, actually, no. It's it's about a year, year and a half into his MMA career. So super young in the sport back then. Now, Vittori's made some improvements. But Adesanya's wrestling defense is better now. Adesanya is more willing to swing big shots on the counter now, where like it seems like he found his power more, judging by his performances against guys like Paul Acosta, Robert Whitaker, Calvin Gastelum, He's more confident in his power on the counter. Um, and Vittoria will give him plenty of opportunities to counter. He's going to have to pressure with fakes and be ready to block and counter Izzy's jab with just one or two strikes to minimize Izzy's chances of countering effectively. Blackowicz was able to do that. Marvin will have to be ready to check or counter Izzy's leg kicks, which he has in the past like turned leg kicks into takedowns. But I I, I don't know. Izzy stays at such a distance. His leg kick is so quick that Vittoria to drop his hand will be a big risk for the head kick if he's willing to go for the takedown from that position. Um, Vittoria doesn't really have the speed to, I think, take advantage of that. is also not as big as Blackowix, right? So I can see that being uh, l- like a factor that doesn't necessarily benefit him in-, in this situation the same way that it did for Blackowix, who was a bit slower but uh, and had plenty of tenacity, but was careful when he needed to be. Um, Look, I, I I like Izzy here to possibly even score a finish at some point. I think he's going to be more calm, more sure of himself. I think he's aware of the gap in skill and speed when it comes to stand-up. And I think he's aware with the lack of danger on the other side, even though he's a good fighter, he's he's relentless. He's got um, cardio for days, even though he looks so muscled, right? He's got output for days, which is super impressive. Um, he's extremely durable, but offensively, right? None of those things are going to put his opponent in in in. Peril. It's not going to put his opponent in a position to be finished, and that's why he doesn't have a lot of finishes. So because of the lack of danger on Vittori's side, because of the speed advantage that Adesanya will enjoy, because of the uh, gap in skill standing up, I like Izvi Adesanya here to look good to maybe lose one round, but but you know potentially get a finish here somewhere in the middle of the five-round fight.
0: All right, well, we'll see what happens.
1: Yes, sir. Disagree on the, with you on that one, but it's a ballsy pick, and I, and I like you taking advantage of those two-point opportunities.
0: Yeah, I got to take advantage of them.
1: My next pick is going to be in the Carlos Felipe-Jake Collier matchup, Nick. Uh, It's hard to really trust either of these guys because they're heavyweights. But at the same time, these two guys have shown more tenacity, uh, more technique than a lot of heavyweights do Carlos Felipe like there's still big question mark about his last performance but I'm picking him very slightly because I think his pressure will wear will wear on Jake Collier over the course of the fight but Collier's technical. he's crafty. he's got a lot of experience I can see his leg kicks uh actually uh, buckling Felipe a little bit and affecting him so it's a pick em, but it's le- pick him on paper by the way there's a big uh disparity in the odds plus 170 on Jay Collier I would put some money down on Collier by decision by the way if you're looking to take a little bit of risk it's got to be somewhere around plus 300, plus 350. But I like Jake, uh, I like Carlos Felipe to pick up the win here. I might turn, I might change my pick in this one just for the sake of the underdog value, but uh, I'm, I'm going to save that for later and see if that's a good idea.
0: Yeah. I'm a, i am I guess I'm with you. I'm not a big, I'm not a big believer in Collier, even though he's looked better since it's, it's kind of, you know, kind of a, a rough, uh, a rough re-entry to the UFC, but uh, not a, not a fight. I, I really care that much about either way, to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna pick against one of my fan favorites, and this is an underdog pick that might become a plus one fifty, but I'm gonna take um, I'm gonna take Lauren Murphy to win a decision over JoJo Calderwood. I love JoJo out of uh, out of Syndicate. Um, She lost that fight against Maya, which was that was her last fight, correct? Was that the last time we the last time we saw? Um, Jojo Calderwood. Just let me make sure of that. No, she beat Jessica I after that, and that that fight, and that fight. That fight was okay, but Jessica is not. You know, is uh, I'm not the biggest. I'm not the biggest Jessica I fan, and um, Lauren Murphy's been kind of sur- has been kind of surging a bit. She's got four. She's got four wins in a row. Um, I think that she's stronger than Jojo. I think this is a. I think this is a really tough even fight. I just have a I have a feeling that the moment that the momentum uh, and the strength is in is in uh, is in Lauren Murphy's favor here. I don't know that I've ever picked against Cal- against Calderwood, but
1: yeah, that's why I'm pretty I'm pretty surprised in your pick. By the way, we already decided a couple of weeks ago that um, it's at the time of making the pick that the odds count. So as of now, I think Lauren Murphy's around plus 120. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not a big enough of an underdog. Um, But I'm actually surprised that you're picking against Calderwood since you've been so consistently picking her, whether she ends up winning or losing. Um, I like Lauren Murphy. I I do think Calderwood has a lot more weapons. She's going to be more technical on the feet. She's going to be more consistent on the feet. She's going to be faster. But Lauren Murphy's going to be the physically stronger fighter. The question I think a lot of a lot of the fight is going to depend on whether Lauren Murphy can keep her range and whether she can consistently pressure Calderwood basically in boxing range rather than staying at the end of her kicks and whether Lauren Murphy can get takedowns. Calderwood has shown a weakness in her takedown defense in the past, but recently has been really inching up in, in that department. I'm going to agree with you, but there's a reason the odds are close here. This is going to be a decision either way. I would be shocked if either girl finishes the other. Um, so I, I do agree with you, but with a lot of trepidation, and I didn't like officially write down a pick for this one because I really think like – it all really depends on how the takedown matchup uh, goes and whether or not Lauren Murphy is smart enough to keep it in boxing range and just consistently keep it there without allowing Calderwood to get an effective tie clinch. Uh, but I, I like the pick Nikolai. My next one is going to be in the Matt Terence terrence McKinney matchup. Terrence McKinney is a last-minute replacement. Just like a really hard-hitting kickboxer who like isn't technical just purely aggressive and finishes guys in the first round and more often than not on a three-fight winning streak from LFA um I just think Matt Frivola as long as he makes it through the first couple of minutes he should be fine Terrence McKinney's defense is not even really there his chin is high He just like cut like he will stand in front of you with your back against the cage and even if you're throwing 10 punches at him he will just keep throwing just being sure that his power is enough. He can tag Fervola. We've seen Fervola knock down before. Um, We've seen him finish by strikes before, so it's entirely possible that this is one of these last-minute replacements who makes it through, but I like Fervola's pressure. I like his experience at the UFC level. I like the fact that um, in most areas, he's going to be more technical, trains with better people, so uh, I've got Matt Fervola, even though there are some question marks around this fight. Uh, Tennis McKinney, by the way, took this fight on short notice. Uh, I think like two or three days notice, but he did fight just a week ago in LFA and got a uh, minute, 13 second knockout.
0: Uh, yeah. I'm with you there. I think it's, I th- I'm picking uh, Matt Favola. I think now there's only two fights left to go. I gonna listen. I love the kid, Chase Huber. He's uh, you know, he's 2021 Dustin Hazelet kind of, and, uh, and, uh, but like St- Steven Peterson's a guy with 27 professional fights uh 31 years old never been submitted uh and he's been in there you know he's he hasn't been in there with the best of the best but he's been in there with some horses uh and some tough guys you know Brandon davis uh bruce leroy alex casaris uh irwin rivera uh matt hobar so like i i think i think any you know and he's got and he's also um he's finished quite a few fights by both submission and knockout so he's a including his last fight uh in september 2019 when he had a, a pretty sick spinning uh, spinning back fist against Martin Bravo, and I just think the way Chase Hooper in his last fight um, is really his last two fights. I mean, he got he got uh, beat up by by Bruce Leroy, and then he um, was not looking real great against really a regional guy in Peter Barrett uh, before getting you know before getting the heel hook, and I just think that like Steven Peterson. Is a kind of is the kind of nasty veteran who uh, is not going to take it from the kid. I think I think we're going to see Chase Hooper's uh, grill get pieced up a bit in this fight.
1: Yeah, I'm, I I'm, I tend to edge with you there too. I, I think that Peterson has enough experience to survive on the ground where they're there and enough skill standing to do some damage. I also think like Chase Hooper's wrestling isn't great. He's not super athletic. There's a chance Chase Hooper like he is talented on the floor if nowhere else. And Stephen Peterson has a journeyman's record so i'm sure stephen peterson's lost to this level of opponent in the past although although there are some decent names on his loss list uh, i do agree with you but this one's again it's, it's there's a reason it's one of our last picks not very convicted in my disagreement or in my agreement uh i'm going to take for the last picnic this one's tough because i underestimated luigi Vandermini, who i think i think don't quote me in this switched to um sanford mma leading up to his last fight and he got that knockout over Justin Ayari. I I tend to I'm gonna favor Ferez Ziam, even though Luigi Vandramini's uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt can possibly get takedowns against Ferez. This is a pick that I might just change uh, later on in the week, but I'm gonna favor Ferez Ziam. I think he's a young prospect coming up, really putting his game together. His kickboxing is really really solid. But his takedown defense needs work. His getup game is pretty good. His jujitsu defense needs work. So th- there are some holes in this young prospect. But I'm gonna edge with him ever so slightly over Luigi, who is gonna be more well-rounded. Who's gonna be more dangerous on the floor. Uh, I, and I assume that Luigi's stand-up has not come up to the level to be able to compete with Ziam. So I've got Ziam, but um, there's a good chance I'm gonna change this pick.
0: Yeah, I. Um, this is a good one. I thought I thought Jamie Malarkey deserved the victory. Over for Zian, but like Jamie Malarkey's a tough dude. Uh, I like him, you know. I like him quite, uh, quite a bit. Um, that guy's so, been great for days. Yeah, but I, I tend to agree with you here. I'm gonna, go, I would also go with with Zian.
1: Fair enough. Uh, that will do it, Nikolai. I'm quickly gonna run through our picks. My draft list uh, is Leon Edwards, Jamal Hill, Damian Maya, Mofsar Efluev, my fifth draft pick was carlos felipe matt Frivola was my sixth and finally i have uh ferez ziam your first pick was davison figueredo the champ second you took eric anders third pick was alexis davis in an upset pick fourth you took drew dober marvin vittori was your fifth pick your sixth pick was lauren murphy over joanne calderwood and finally your seventh pick was stephen peterson to uh take care of chase hooper Nick, this should be interesting. Could go either way. I have no goddamn idea. I think a lot of these matchups on paper could go either way, even where the ma- even where the odds are pretty wide, which is what creates, I think, some betting opportunities. So definitely something to look forward to, man. I, I think like we've got prospects like Evloev, Hakeem Duadu, Jamal Hill to look forward to. We've got you know old school veterans and names like Nate Diaz. Uh, obviously, Israel Adesanya is a star. A lot to look forward to on this card. A lot of like, there's also that old versus new dynamic between Muhammad and Maya. Curious if Muhammad is like a prospect on that level if he can get through this. This one, Drew Dober, Brad Riddell is going to be exciting as hell. So definitely a lot to look forward to on this one. A couple of maybe of the first few fights will be forgettable, but uh, I'm excited, man. I'm excited for a big UFC pay per view with three five round fights, including that Nate Diaz uh, Leon Edwards one.
0: Yeah, man, I'm I'm super fired up for this card. Uh, I am definitely made some bold picks I could end up you know eating a lot of shit but I'm playing to win and I gotta score those <laughs> points
1: I, I like it Nick you're only five and a half points behind at this point uh, next week Nikolai we have a UFC Fight Night Jung versus Ige uh, Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige that's a main event that I'm definitely interested in I think I think it'll be fascinating Olenek is coming back against Spivak Tim Means Danny Roberts should be interesting like nothing major uh, Marlon Vera versus David Grant that I'm very interested in for sure bruno silva versus wellington Terman. bruno silva is fighting Silva's already, already at the bruno yeah, silva i don't G- know if it's the same bruno silva i don't uh. think it's the same guy because uh wellington term is 185 pounder bruno silva is not uh, you know 125 not right, right. be coming up matt brown diego lima though that's something to to look forward to i think that should be interesting given um matt brown has power and diego diego lima might have the edge everywhere except that he has a shitty chin uh Kanako Murato versus Virna Jandiroba two really good fighters who combine have a record nick of 28 and 3 that should be fascinating Uh, some uh, Julian Arosa is coming back against uh, Choi Sung Woo Um, Josh Parisian eh, I don't think that's worth mentioning yeah Rick Glenn is coming back on this card there's a couple of decent things on this card it's nothing compared to UFC 263 which is why I'm super excited about this weekend
0: we got crazy eyes crazy eyes Jandiroba I'm always looking forward to her Her
1: walkout. <laughs> no joke, dude. His, like she, she really does have a, a, a funny look to her, but she is legitimately skilled on the ground. Oh yeah. It's a shame that she wasn't willing to use her uh, top position Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in her last matchup, which I, I think she could have won that fight, man. She just took the wrong game plan and was too scared of... Um, who's who's your... Who's Mackenzie your favorite Dern. Favorite What's her name? Mackenzie Dern, that's right, who has like the least Brazilian name imaginable, considering she grew up in the States and still has that pesky Brazilian accent. I'm a practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm gonna to get good at the, the box, the kicker box, the jiu-jitsu, judo, wrestling. I grew up in
0: Arizona. All right, all right.
1: Are you are you offended because I'm making fun of one of your favorite fighters?
0: No, I'm not. I'm the one. I'm the one who said that after she trains, she goes to Hoy Hodgers. So <laughs> <It's>,
1: <laughs> Hoy Hodgers is great. Nick. I love it. <laughs> Uh, that'll do it for this one, Nick. Uh, episode 104 in the books. Looking forward to t- discussing it all next week.
0: Buddy. Well, wait, wait, wait. Let's just not forget that also coming up on the 17th on PFL, we got the fight we've all been waiting for. Rory uh-huh. a- Rory Aries McDonald against Gleason Tebow, the man who deserved a victory over Habib. We've all been waiting. <laughs> we've all been waiting for McDonald Tebow. <laughs> <laughs> What, Sorry, what
1: has Gleison Tibau been? That's funny. It's just what such a ra- it's such a random
0: it's such a random headliner. You're you're not kidding. But is he like winning fights, Gleison
1: Tibau? Uh, he's 34, and, 34
0: 15. and 15. 34 uh, and
1: 15. Yeah, he is two and three, two and seven in his last nine fights. So I would imagine that Rory Donald, McDonald's is a sizable favorite. especially since This is at 170. Uh, Rory Macdonald, by the way, himself is like one and.